Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you're a good God. You're a God who's with us and for us, and we're so grateful we can have the confidence to take steps of faith because you're not a God who's against us or fighting us, but you're a God who's with us and for us. And God, I pray that tonight that it'll be your word that goes forth and your word that moves hearts and changes lives and changes the world. God, if there's something that I plan to say that I shouldn't, Lord, I pray that you take it away. If there's something I didn't plan to say that I should, Lord, that you will speak through me. Lord, I pray that at the end no one says, wow, Alex did a good job or Alex did a horrible job. But instead they say, we have heard from God. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen. Um, did you guys ever play, maybe with the kids in your neighborhood, maybe you played kickball or softball or soccer? And um, they do that thing, right, when you, they're picking teams. And they're like, okay, I want you, I want you, I want you. I was always the last one picked because I'm horrible at sports. And the only times I wasn't the last one picked is if somebody had a broken arm or a broken leg or was in a wheelchair. And then even sometimes I was picked after them. And so people knew that I didn't have the talent, I didn't have the ability to do well at sports, and so I was usually the last one picked. And you know, if we look at the abilities we have and the resources we have, our tendency is to do one of two things. We either become overconfident or we become insecure. Like if you have a lot of abilities, you have a lot of talent, and you have a lot of resources, you can think we can do anything and you're overconfident, and you'll probably take some risks, you'll take some steps of faith that you shouldn't take, and you end up regretting. And then if you look at your resources and your talents and you say, we don't have very much, you might end up feeling very insecure and you feel paralyzed and you don't take any steps of faith in your life. And so both end up being negative things that keep you from taking steps of faith. And remember, we're talking in our series about how taking steps of faith make us better people, and make the world a better place. And so remember we talked about how in our world we're constantly um, put into situations where we either can we respond with fear or with faith. And if we respond with faith, it's an action that changes the world. If we respond with fear, we end up being paralyzed, and the world doesn't become better. And so we have an interesting story here where there's a guy who was always picked last, and he was very insecure. He looked at the resources and the abilities that he had, and he said, I can't do anything. And his name is Gideon. And so as we've been doing this series called Horses, Horns, and Heroes, we've been looking at these heroes from the Old Testament and how they took steps of faith when they encountered a God who was with them and for them. And when we realize that God is with us and for us, it empowers us, it encourages us to take steps of faith. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. We're going to read the story. I'm going to pull out a couple things. We'll make some application here at the end. So verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. And Gideon said to him, Please, my lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that his fathers told us about? And they said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now God has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's family. 
But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike down Midian as if he were one man. And then he said to him, if I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you're speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I'll stay until you return. So Gideon went, prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. And he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on the stone and pour the broth on it. And so he did that. And the angel of the Lord extended the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And when Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh, no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace to you. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And it still stands in Ophrah of the Abrazites today. So I just want to pull out a couple things that I think have application to our life as we think about taking steps of faith and encountering a God who's with us and for us. You notice first here, I love how it starts out. It's like the angel of the Lord, this pre-incarnate uh, picture of Jesus, God coming down in human form, came, and what does he do? He goes and sits under a tree. Like, I think that's hilarious. Like, if God comes down to earth, what do you think he's going to do? He goes and sits under a tree. God just went to an ordinary place. And part of this is so that we know that this is a real place, right? People who heard this story in this day could go to that tree and be like, that's the tree that the angel of the Lord sat down. But I think it's also interesting that God works in ordinary places with ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God's still working in ordinary places. Like sometimes we think God will show up at this big Christian conference we go to or if we go to like some kind of worship thing or, you know, if we go to church. But many times God shows up in ordinary places, like in your neighborhood, like in your family, at your dinner table, uh, at your workplace, at your school, at your job. You know, these are the places where God shows up and he begins to tug on our heart to take a step of faith. We think that God's going to show up in some big dramatic way, but many times God's just sitting at a bus stop or he's sitting at a traffic light. He's sitting in these ordinary places when he's going to tug at our heart to take a step of faith. And so he shows up here sitting under an oak, and it just happens to be an oak where Gideon is hiding nearby. So a little bit of backstory. Why is Gideon hiding? Because the Midianites have taken over Israel. We didn't read the verse 10 verses. But essentially what happened was Israel said, nah, I'm done with God. I'm going to do my own thing. And as a result, God allowed the Midianites to conquer the land and take over. And so what the Midianites would do is they would let them plant their crops. They would let them grow their crops. And just as it was time to harvest the crops, the Midianites would come in and take everything. And then Israel would be like, okay, let's scratch, uh, scrounge everything together and put everything back together. And they would grow a little bit more. And then the Midianites would come in and take it at the last possible second. And so here was Gideon trying to hide the little bit that he had, and he's hiding, and it just happens to be near this tree where the angel of the Lord is sitting. And I love what he says to him. He says, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see someone hiding, I don't immediately think, boy, that guy's brave. That's a brave dude. You know, like, that's not usually what we think of, right? We think of someone who's charging into battle, who's, who's facing an adversary. That's someone who's valiant or brave. But God doesn't see Gideon for where he's at. See, God sees Gideon for what he could be and who he will be after he encounters him. And God does that same thing with us. God doesn't look at you and say, well, lazy. 
or, you know, greedy or selfish. He looks and he says, you know what? You spent some time with me. You encounter me in a powerful way. You know that I'm with you and for you, and I see everything that you could be. See, God speaks to our potential because he sees our potential. And I love throughout scripture, God has this tendency to rename people, right? He renames Jacob to Israel. He renames Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. He renames Simon to Peter. Why does he do these name changes? Because names meant something back in the old days. Now we just name people anything. You know, people see a card, they're like, I'm going to name my kid Audie. I hope nobody's kid's named Audie, if so I probably just Sorry, but you know, they, you know, they just see something random. Like they'll see a street sign in South Florida called Darby, and they'll they'll be like, "We're going to name our daughter Darby," um, which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. So, but in the Old Testament, people were named things because they were like, "This is who you're going to become." And so, when God would rename people, what He's saying is, "I know who you're going to become, and it's more than who you think you are." See, we all have an idea about who we are and who we're going to be. And God has higher expectations, and he believes that an encounter with him will fundamentally change who we are. He sees you as being valiant when you feel like you're cowardly. He sees what you could be with him. And you notice what he says here. Uh, Gideon makes this interesting statement in verse 13. He says, if God is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? Now, Gideon isn't being completely fair here. All this bad stuff happened because Israel turned away from God because they said, we don't need you. And then they got into a situation where they needed God. So it's not fair to blame God. But don't we all do this? We have a tendency to take credit for what God does. And then when we get the consequences for our own wrong actions, we blame God. Um, I remember one time in Tennessee, there was a lady whose kids were being taken away from her. because She was dealing drugs. And she said to me, she says, why is God letting this happen? And I'm like, I don't know if we can blame God on this one, right? There's some consequences because of your actions. But we all do this sometimes. Where something bad happens to us, we're like, God, why'd you let this happen? And it's like, well, you kind of did it. You know, if you show up late constantly to work and you do a really bad job, you can't say, why did God let me get fired? That's kind of a consequence of your action. But at the same time, many times, God works through us and in us to accomplish things, and then we take credit for it. We like to take credit for what God did and then blame him for what we do. But notice here that the presence of God doesn't mean the absence of pain or problems. See, I think we think that. Like, if we have pain or problems, we think, well, God must not be here. But God, Jesus, is always at work in the darkest places in the world, in the most needful places. Remember what Jesus said when he was on earth? He says, I didn't come for well people. I came for sick people. God's going to always be at work in the places where he's most needed, not the places that are most comfortable and safe. We think, oh, if everything's good and I have lots of money and I'm healthy and well, Jesus is there. That's where I'm happy and safe and everything's good. No, Jesus is at work in the most needful, the most dangerous um, places, the most broken places in our world today. Jesus's presence means action, not safety. See, I think sometimes that we think Jesus died to keep us safe, and we forget that Jesus died to make us spiritually dangerous in an enemy-controlled world. And so Jesus isn't hanging back far away from the front lines. He's on the spiritual front lines. And so if you're with Jesus, you should expect some problems. You should expect some issues. You should expect some crisis because he's going to be on the spiritual front lines. He's going to be where things are happening. And then I love what he says. Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. 
I am sending you. You know, if we just went on our own, we couldn't do it. But an encounter with God, a God who's sending us, a God who is going with us, there's nothing that's going to be impossible for him. See, when we look at God's resources and when we look at God's abilities, we can respond with both humility and confidence to take a step of faith. You know, we don't add anything to the equation. Like, God could have saved Israel from Midian without Gideon, but he wanted to use Gideon. Gideon didn't add anything to the equation, just like us. Zero plus infinity still equals infinity. We don't add anything to the equation, but God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to be a part of what's happening. And God is still asking ordinary people like you and me to be a part of the extraordinary things that he's doing in our world. And he could do it without us. But he doesn't just want to slay giants. He wants to make us into giant slayers. See, God's not just interested in what he's accomplishing through you. That's important. But even more important, he's interested in who you're becoming as he uses you and as you encounter him. And I love that he picks Gideon. You know, in verse 15, Gideon's like, did you pick the right person, God? He's kind of like, I think you might have been sitting by the wrong tree because I'm the wrong person to pick. And Gideon essentially says, I'm from the worst tribe in Israel, and I'm from the poorest family in that tribe, and I'm the worst one in my poor family. And he's like, you picked the worst of the worst of the worst. And he essentially says, God, you got it wrong. I'm the wrong guy. But see, God always picks first the people we would pick last. Remember Israel, the nation of Israel, we're going to see uh, next week as we talk about David. They picked Saul because Saul was tall and handsome and looked like a king. But he didn't act like a king. He acted like a coward. God picked out a boy who didn't look like a king but acted like a king. See, we have a tendency to pick the people who we think have the resources and have the ability to do it without God. God always picks out the people who are going to recognize that they need him. See, if we think we can do it in ourselves, we'll be self-confident and we'll ultimately fail. But if we recognize how much we need him, we'll rely on his uh, his eternal um, power and resources, and so we'll have the strength and ability to do what we couldn't do on our own. See, when God is with us and for us, all bets are off. You'll see here in verse 16, he says, I will be with you, the Lord said. You'll strike down Midian as if they were one man. And Gideon, after this, we're not going to read it tonight, but he ends up gathering this army. He blows some trumpets, he blows some ram's horns. Tying into our title there and all these people around Israel gather and God says it's too many people If you fought them right now, you would feel like you could win and he goes I don't want that I want you to know that I'm part of it And so he gets rid of some of the people and God says still too many people you'll think you can do it And so he gets rid of more and he gets down to 300 people 300 people against this huge army But 300 people against a huge army when you have God all bets are off Always bet on God. If God is with you and for you, if he's asked you to do something and you take that step of faith and it's a step of faith that God has commanded or God has led you to, then all bets are off. Don't trust in your abilities or in your resources. God can do anything. And you see down here in verse 19 that Gideon's response is worship. See, there's two ways to respond, right, when we have a, uh, a step of faith to take with fear or with faith we've talked about that and again and again and if we respond with fear the result is worry if we respond with faith the result is worship 
what is worship? It's more than just singing, or it's more than just, you know, writing out Bible verses. Worship is recognizing who God is and who you are in comparison. When you recognize how big God is and how powerful, how beautiful, how good he is, and the fact that he's with you and for you, and then you see yourself in relation to him, worship is a natural result. And if we're taking steps of faith, we respond with worship. If you see in your life where your natural tendency is to respond with worry, that means you're taking steps of fear, not steps of faith. If you tend to respond with worship and you say, man, God, you're so good. Look at what you've done. Instead of taking credit and glory for yourself, that means you're probably taking steps of faith. So in verse 22, Gideon suddenly realizes that he's been talking to God this whole time. I love the fact that God earlier told him, the Lord is with you. And he's like, the Lord's not with me. And God was essentially saying, I'm standing right in front of you, and you're missing it. And Gideon finally at the end gets it. He's like, that was God. I was talking to God. Oh, my goodness. I think a lot of times in our lives, we miss God all the time. I think that he's leading us into relationships to encounter people far away from God. I think he's leading us to take steps of faith all the time in our everyday life, and we miss it. I think the fingerprints of God are all over our life as he's orchestrating conversations and relationships and situations. And I think most of the time we're like Gideon. We're totally missing it. We have to keep our eyes open and be looking for the opportunities that God is creating in our life because I think he is constantly working. He's constantly inviting us to join him in what he's doing as he's working in the broken places in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our families. And so Gideon's really upset here that he's seen God. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die because I've seen God. And God says, no, you're not going to die. It's going to be okay. And Gideon calls the place, the Lord is peace. You know, the greatest peace you can experience is the peace of knowing Jesus Christ. Now, there's a peace you can buy in a pill bottle, and it lasts for a little while until your uh, prescription runs out and you have to get more, or until you develop a tolerance and you have to keep raising your dose. And there's a piece you can get in a bottle, right? You know, there's some limited, short-time piece that you can buy. But the only eternal piece that you can get between you and God is from Jesus Christ. Right? And that's the whole reason that we come together is because of this good news. Jesus Christ said he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. He didn't come to tell you how bad you are, but come to tell you that God is with you and for you and wants a relationship with you. Now, none of us could reach God on our own because the Bible tells us that we all have this self-destructive tendency to destroy our relationship with other people and our relationship with God. The Bible calls that sin. Sin means you have a tendency, like me, to choose what's not best for yourself, but what feels right in the moment, right? And sin leads me to not go to the gym and eat more donuts, Sin leads me to spend money instead of saving money. Sin leads me to say selfish things instead of kind things. But Jesus Christ came into the world and he lived a perfect life. And he died and rose from the dead. And he's promised that anyone who calls out on the name of Jesus can be saved. And every one of us can experience peace with God. So what are we going to do with this as we come to the end? As we talk about what does God want us to do, what steps of faith does he want us to take, I think we need to think about where God's working around us in our community, in our families, in our workplaces, because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are at work constantly. And I think many times, like Gideon, we miss it. 
We're not paying attention and we miss it. See where there's places where you can take a step of faith and join in. And then I think there's also uh, where we need to take some time and think about who we are becoming. Because God has an idea about who we are becoming, and many times we set a much lower expectation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this challenge to live and love like you did. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to take bold steps of faith like Gideon did. He was a guy who didn't have all the resources, he didn't have everything together, but he knew that if you were with him, he could do anything. God, make us a people who are confident in you, humble enough to take a step of faith. And Lord, not looking at our resources or our shortcomings or who we think we are, but looking at who you say we are in you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.